Open up your Bible with me to Romans, Romans chapter 1, and I believe we're going to complete our current series of going through Romans verse by verse and chapter by chapter, and um, we're going we're gonna to go through part of 15 and the rest of 16, I believe. But let's start, because I'd like to take you back to the beginning and just remind you of what Paul's purpose was in writing to the Christians in Rome. The, the Christians in Rome, it, it was a mixed body of believers, ethnic Jews, Gentiles, and, and others. And so he writes to them, and, and he, he says this to them. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. He says, I, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to the powerful Son of God according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in telling the good news about His Son, that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I have had among the rest of the nations or the Gentiles. I am obligated both to the Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So he, he states who he is. He states his desire to come see them and what his purpose is. And then in verses 16 and 17, this is the theme and purpose of the entire letter to the believers in Rome. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. See, this is the reoccurring theme that he keeps addressing over and over and over through this letter, because he is writing to both Gentile and Jew, and the ethnic Jews, they believed, you know, at that time, they had been, up until the time of Christ, the chosen ones, right? They were his people, and now it had been opened up to the Gentiles, and Paul's language through his letter to them is he's laying out that, nope, it's not that way anymore, and it's to whoever believes, and that it's by faith, it's not by works. So in verse 17, he goes on, he says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So that's how he starts the letter out. So now let's go to chapter 15 and look at the closing of his letter. And you'll see some of these very same themes coming up again. Now we had already read down through verse 13. Let's go back and start in verse 7 and we'll just read from, from verse 7 down. 
Therefore, welcome one another. Now, the, the back, what he had just written in the previous pages of his letter, uh, just prior to him saying what he's saying now, was about the law of liberty and eating foods and people disagreeing about which day of the week you should worship and what food you should or shouldn't eat and disputable matters, right? And he's like, you know, don't, don't be caught up in all of that. And he lays out in chapter 14 things that, you know, are... The how all things are, are permissible, yet, in fact, I'm borrowing from another letter, but basically he's telling them how that they, they, one person can eat to the Lord and the other one cannot eat to the Lord. Or one person, you know, worships, uses one day to the Lord and another person views every day as to the Lord. And the main thing is, is that you're the Lord's and everything you do should be to the Lord. That was, that was the purpose of what he was teaching them. And that we should prefer one another and not do anything that would harm our brother and sister. So now in verse 7, he starts with, therefore, welcome one another, just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers, and so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy as it is written. So here he is just reminding them of that the purpose here is that the Gentiles would also come in. And so he starts to quote to them prophecies, old prophecies. So the first one he gives to them is out of 2 Samuel 22. He says, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praises to your names. See, he, he names the Gentiles, because that was, in the Old Covenant, that was unheard of. So he's just reminding them and bringing them back to the core point here. And then in verse 10 he says again, it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. See, the Gentiles didn't rejoice with his people, the Jews. But now he's saying, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And that's found in Deuteronomy 32. And then again, he gives another prophecy out of Psalms 117. He says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. So he's just hammering his point home. And again in verse 12, he quotes the prophet Isaiah. And he says, the root of Jesse, who we know to be Jesus, the root of Jesse will appear, and the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, the Gentiles will hope in him. So this was good news for you and I as Gentiles. Now verse 13, he, he polishes it off with this. He says, now may the God of hope, Fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love that part, because, you know, we were not called to be reservoirs of His hope. We were not called to be lakes of His hope, right? We are called to overflow with His hope. That it gets on those that are around us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So verse 14, let's start there now. My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness. Filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. That's high praise, right? I mean, if the Apostle Paul were writing a letter to us. And he's like, man, I've heard about you. You know, back when he started the letter, that's what he said. He said, I've been hearing about you guys, how your faith, you know, it's, it's said all throughout the world about you guys. Well, how would that be if, if the Apostle Paul was write a letter and I'd stand up here and Paul's saying, yeah, Church of the Word, I've, I'm convinced about you guys that you're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. That, that's that's good, good words right there. And I believe that's what 
I would certainly say that about you guys, right? I think Paul would too if he was here. Nevertheless, but don't get hung up on that. You haven't arrived, right? We're still on the journey. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. Now, just a reminder that the grace given to him or the grace given to you or, or me or when, when grace is referenced in Scripture, think of it as God's ability, God's enablement, God's empowerment to you doing something you could never do for you. Going far beyond your abilities and your capabilities and what you're able to do on your own. That's what God's grace is to you. You didn't deserve it. He gave it. He helps you. So he helps Paul be this minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of the good news of God. And God's purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering, sanctified or set apart by the Holy Spirit. Again, the purpose of his letter. And he's just, just again, restating it. You know, Apostle Dale one time told me early on when I was first ordained and I was asking him some questions about, well, how do you preach a sermon? You know, what do you do? He said, well, keep it simple. He said, tell them what you're going to tell them, and then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. That makes a whole lot of sense. You know, here's what we're going to learn tonight, and then you lay it out, and then you remind them, here's what we learned. Because repetition is a master of, of learning, isn't it? At least not master in a spiritual sense, but master in a natural sense. So... All through the book of Romans, he started out by telling them what he was going to tell them. Then he proceeded to tell them, page after page after page. Now he's just reminding them, here's what I told you. Look at verse 17. Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed. Everyone say, by word word. and deed. You know what and means? It's a, it's, what is and? It's a conjunction, right? So word and deed are not the same thing, but he's just making an important point. There's two things mentioned here. Word and action. By word and action. So let's start again at verse 18. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for for the obedience of the Gentiles. Remember, that's what we read in chapter 1. That was why he came. He said, for the obedience of the Gentiles, or why he wrote this letter. And then in verse 19, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders. There's that word and again. Miraculous signs and wonders. By the power of God's Spirit. So, he, he in word and deed, There was miraculous signs and wonders by the power of God's Spirit. And then he says this. He says, as a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Elikirim. Now here's what's interesting. Paul considered the fact that he preached the Word and it was accompanied by signs and wonders and the power of the Holy Spirit in operation that that was to have fully proclaimed the gospel. It wasn't just in word, right? We don't want a form of godliness, right? But denying the power of it. But we want to be like Paul that when we preach the word, 
and the power of God is present and signs and wonders take place and He confirms His Word that we can say that the Gospel has now been fully proclaimed. Let's expect nothing less that when we step out that the Gospel will not only be preached, you know, that's one part, but that it's going to be confirmed by the power of the Holy Spirit, by signs and wonders. And we should pray this way. We should pray every single week this way. Lord, confirm your word as this minister. This week, as we go into our places of, of business, as we go into the workforce, as we are around other people, that as we minister your word to people, that you'll stretch forth your hand to perform signs and wonders, right? That your gospel will be fully proclaimed in every place that we go. Or at least every place that you present the gospel. Let's put it that way. Verse 20, my aim... Actually, let's look at a few scriptures before we go any further because Paul said similar things in two other places. If you would, put up uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll look at 5 and 6. 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 1, 5 and 6. And I will go to 1 Corinthians 2 and I'll just read a verse or several verses there. So in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5 is where I'm reading if you're taking notes. Paul said this to the Corinthians as he wrote that letter. He said, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. You know, this is something we need to pray as we pray about this church plant in Richmond. And when we go down and when we preach the Word, and, and when we're reaching out to the un, unsaved, unchurched, that the power of God's going to be present to confirm His Word. That it's not going to be because people come to the church because, oh, they're such amazing teachers, or they're, you know, coming to hear a man speak, but that they're coming to encounter the living God. Did you find First Thessalonians? Chapter 1, let's look at verse 5 and 6. It says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit with much assurance. You know what kind of men we were among you for your benefit. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. So there you see the same thing. It's by word and by power. We should never settle for anything less than that by word and power all right back to Romans in fact let's just say that let's let just repeat after me when I open my mouth and preach the gospel the Lord stretches forth his hand to perform signs and wonders and to confirm his word as I tell it now, don't get hung up on the word preach. Just telling it, okay? You tell the gospel. You tell, let's say it a different way. You are a witness of what God has done for you. Nobody can take that away from you. Has the Lord touched your life? Has He changed you? Has He done anything for you? You are a witness of that. And when you tell the good news of Christ and about what He has done for you, personal experience, you know, we couldn't get pregnant. We prayed and believed God for a baby, and now we have a baby. 
right? What has God done for you? And make it personal. Tell about the goodness of God. The Lord will stretch forth His hand to do signs and wonders, confirm that word to confirm His goodness, and you'll see light where there was darkness. Someone say, I am bold to declare the goodness of God. And look at your neighbor. Tell him, you're crazy bold. What does crazy mean? It means like unreasonable. Let's be unreasonably bold, right? Bold for the sake of the kingdom. We have the mind of Christ, so therefore we are not moved by what people think, what people say, and what people do. But we are moved by the power of God and the power of His Spirit moving on the inside of us. And Lord, I ask you, Father, right now tonight that you would birth within us a greater desire than ever before to tell your goodness. Lord, just ignite within us a zeal, a greater zeal, a greater boldness by your Spirit that we would see as you see and have compassion and be moved like you were by compassion for people that you saw that were hurting. And Father, as we tell the good news, as we stretch forth our hand, as we pray for the sick, as we tell them to rise in the name of Jesus, as we rebuke devils and command them to flee, Lord, that by your supernatural power in the moment you would minister to those individuals individuals and light would flood them and they would see and have revelation of who you are, of who Jesus is and that he is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings and that he is who he said he was. Jesus said, I am. I am, not the I was. I am. And if he is the I am, that means he, there's just as much power in the earth today for you and I to walk in the supernatural as there was for the Apostle Paul and everyone that went with him. Someone say, I am filled. With the power of God. Woo! Are you expecting big things? When the Lord hears us say things like that, He's like, all right. All right. So expect. Expect big things. Even tonight, sitting here in the service, if there's things that you've been needing from the Lord, expect to receive them tonight in this service. If there's healing that you need, it's mine. I lay hold on it tonight because He is the great I Am. He said that if I would believe Him, I'd have it. He said if I would lay hold of these things by faith, that they would be mine. And so we can do that right here tonight. We don't have to wait for tomorrow. We don't have to wait for another day. We don't have to wait till pastor gets more fired up than he was before. We don't have to wait for the Lord to show up and angels to sing to us. He said it, so it's so. Someone say amen. Amen. I tell you, every Christmas I, I think about Mary and how she said these words, you know, be it unto me according to your word. I love the submission and the authority that comes in that. When you submit to the Lord and you lay down your way, when you lay down your will and you say, Lord, be it unto me according to your word, expect mighty things. Expect unexplainable things and expect Jesus to be glorified. All right, verse 20 in chapter 15. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, and he quotes, he quotes, let's see, out of Isaiah 52, he says, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. You know, you and I are, are benefactors of that today. So he goes on and he says, That is why I have been prevented many times from coming to you. The early 
In chapter 1, he said, I've, I've tried, I've been trying, I've been wanting to for a long time to come see you. And now he addresses that. He says, that's why I've been prevented many times from coming to you. But now I no longer have any work to do in these regions. And I have strongly desired for many years to come to you whenever I travel to Spain. For I hope to see you when I pass through and to be assisted by you for my journey there. Once I have first enjoyed your company for a while. So he's expecting that when he comes to the believers in Rome, that he is, they're going to help him on his missions trip into Spain. Financially, maybe even send people with him. So he says, right now, I'm traveling to Jerusalem. So remember, he is in, in Corinth, and he is where he's writing this letter. And he's traveling on his way back to Jerusalem. It's at the um, kind of getting towards the tail end of his his missionary journey that he'd been on. And he says, I am, um, verse 25, right now I'm traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints because Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased and indeed are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they are obligated to minister to them in material needs. So just so that you you make a mental note, he's not just talking to ethnic Jews. He's saying to the saints, to those that are believers back in Jerusalem. And most of them were ethnic Jews. But they are serving the Lord. He goes on and he says, So when I have finished this and have safely delivered the funds to them, I will visit you on the way to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. How many of us can make that bold declaration tonight and say, you know what, when I come back to you next weekend, I'm coming in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. What is the fullness of the blessing of Christ? I mean, that's a mouthful. It's an overflowing boatload, right, of good things. What is the blessing of Christ? Well, anything you need in healing is involved in the blessing of Christ. Anything you need in finances is included in the blessings of Christ. Spiritual life, let's say it a different way, eternal life, let's say it the way Jesus said it, to know the Father, which is eternal life, is included in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Every blessing in the heavens is how Paul said it in another letter to the Ephesians. Every blessing in the heavens has been given in Christ. Is heaven full of blessings? Man, we think far too much with a natural mindset, don't we? If every blessing in the heavens is given to us, and as Peter said, everything that pertains to life and godliness has been given to you and I, if that's true, man, we've been limiting ourselves way too much. We need to rise up in boldness and in the confidence that Paul had and say, hey, we're coming in the fullness. We're coming in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Man, when we go to Richmond, we're going in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. There is no lack in our pocketbook. There's no lack in our hands. There's no lack of people. The fullness of the blessing of Christ. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I have the fullness, the overflowing abundance of the blessing of Christ. Now look at your other neighbor and say, I heard that. I'm expecting to see good things. Are you blessed being here? Yeah. Amen. Me too.
God is just so good. He's so faithful. Verse 30, he says, now I, uh, wow, it's already, is it 8 o'clock? Seven. Seven. Oh, this clock is an hour off. Someone is playing tricks on me. <laughs> They're like, let's get the pastor to close an hour early. It almost worked. Verse 30. Thank God we're not clock run in this house. You know that, right? If, you, if you've attended here for any length of time, you know the clock doesn't mean a whole lot here in our service time. But it will cause you to look twice at it. Verse 30. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit. Do you have love of the Spirit? I figured I'd hear a louder yes than that. Do you have the love of the Spirit? Yeah. All right, he says, to strive together. I have a question. Does strive sound, sound like couch potato easy? No. Strive doesn't sound like it's, you know, something that just falls into your hands like cherries off a tree. It, it sounds like it involves some work, some effort, some putting forth. So he says... He's appealing to them through the, through the Lord that by the love of the Spirit that they would strive together with Him, with Paul, in prayer. He's very specific in what he's asking. In prayer. So work together with me in prayer. Pray together with me. To whom? To God. Pray to God. This is just a side note, and it's going to rattle some, some of y'all's cages, and that's okay, because your cage needs rattled. You shouldn't be in a cage anyway. <laughs> Stop praying to Jesus. Pray to God in the name of Jesus. All right? Jesus taught them to pray to the Father. He did not say, pray to me. He said, pray this way, our Father who is in heaven. Okay? So we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, you can talk to Jesus, absolutely. Because he makes intercession for you. You can, you can tell him that he's the most amazing king. You can tell him that he's your brother. You can have conversation. That's just fine. But my point is, is when you pray, pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. See, I told you. All right. Love of the Spirit, strive together with me in prayers to God on my behalf. On my behalf. And then he gives them the prayer request. He says, pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. Now, he, that prayer was answered. He absolutely got that prayer answered. Maybe not in the way he thought, but the prayer was answered. He goes down there, and they get ready to kill him, and the Romans rescue him. And then there's these plots that come against him to kill him, even in prison. And let's call, make so that the trial is over in this other town. And when he's on the way, we'll ambush him and kill him. And the Lord stopped those things from happening, and he was rescued from the unbelievers. And then the Romans, because Paul appealed to Caesar, he wouldn't have had to, but he appealed to go to the highest court in the land, and so he was granted his appeal, and so then he had to get shipped to Rome. So his prayer was answered, but it did not catch him unawares, because when he was on the way down there again and again, People were coming and the Spirit of the Lord was prophesying to him and saying, hey, look, chains and, and imprisonment is, is waiting for you there. And some even came by the Spirit of the Lord and said, don't go. And he's like, no, I'm going. And so it, it didn't catch him unawares. But there's a reason that he was asking to be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. And he goes on in verse 31, and that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. 
See, he was taking a gift of finances to them. And he says, and that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. So do you think that by them uniting with Paul in prayer on these things that it would make a difference for Paul? Of course. You know, one of the things that people sometimes get the idea of is that the more people that pray, you know, the more likely you are to get your answer. And that's not true. Because two people can, can walk, pray the prayer of agreement. Two people. It doesn't take a thousand. I mean, a thousand people praying in unbelief is just as ineffective as one person not praying at all. Right? Adding more unbelief to it doesn't help it. But if you will pray the prayer of faith, one person can tap into enough faith to move heaven and earth. And two people, when they get into agreement on faith, it just is more of the same. It's not a different faith, it's just the same. The faith is there. And so Paul is asking for them to be in agreement with him, in faith with him. And see, sometimes in our Word of Faith churches, because we, we've been taught well that, you know, when we pray the prayer of faith, now we thank the Lord, we believe that we have received what we've asked Him for, and so now we thank Him for that thing that we've asked Him for. And so then we are afraid to go back and talk to the Lord about it again or present a request because, well, if I'm really in faith, I wouldn't ask, keep asking for the same thing over and over again if I believe I've received it. And the trouble is, is that we don't really believe we've received it. I know, it wasn't really an amen moment, but pause for effect. If we'll get into faith and believe that we've actually received it, you don't have to try to convince yourself it's yours. You just like, it's mine. Thank you, Lord. I have it. It's mine. And if you're not there, then get there. Put your faith on the Word. Pray the prayer, prayer of faith. And then thank Him. But then when you come back to the Lord, you can continually thank Him for providing it for you. Thank Him for providing it for you. Now, that's one thing. The other thing is when we pray the prayer of faith, we try to pray the prayer of faith involving other people in their will. See, now we're getting into a different territory. I'm not praying that the Lord meet my needs and standing on the Word and now thanking Him that He meets my need. We're praying for Jane. And, and Lord, you minister to Jane. Touch Jane. We want Jane, you know, for you to encounter Jane. Well, she has a free will. And when the Holy Spirit comes knocking on her heart, she can say no. Right? I'm, I'm not interested. Did the Lord answer your prayer? Did He go reach out to her? Did He give her an opportunity? Yes. This is why it's important. Now we're switching from the prayer of faith to an intercessor. Right? To pray as an intercessor and stand in the gap on behalf of someone else. Because every time that you lift them up before the Lord, He will go back and give them opportunity again. He'll pull on them by the Spirit of the Lord again. He'll, he'll give them the opportunity. He'll send someone to them. Now, they can reject it again and again and again and again, but each time they reject it, you can lift them up to the Lord again, and He's going to give them opportunity again because you asked Him to. And He already has the desire. But since you're His hands and feet in the earth, He would really like for you to work with Him and pray that out. Especially those people that are around you or near you or dear to you, people that you know. <clears throat> so when, when it involves praying for things that are involving other people's will, don't be afraid to go back to the Lord on the same thing. 
You know, if, you, if we say, Lord, deliver Paul from those unbelievers down there in Judea. Well, the Lord, He'll put things in place to do exactly that. But because they're people of free will, they can also change things. Right? So we're going to, maybe, maybe tomorrow, a different way of praying, a different strategy of protection is brought up in your heart. So you pray that out. And you just continually be sensitive to the Lord in how to pray it and how to believe Him for it, and what to believe for, and you'll see the miraculous take place in those realms, even when it involves other people and their wills. You know, if we only knew the backstory of so many, of how many times you've prayed for someone, and the Lord has done exactly that, but you don't see it because they didn't accept it, right? But someday, I believe we're going to see that a whole lot more clearly than what we do now. All right, so strive together. So we're going to, it's going to take an effort. An intercessor, someone who stands in the gap, is it's not just a once and done, all right? And we can expect that the Lord will minister and continually provide opportunity and dispatch His angels in accordance with our prayers. Because he sends his, the angels are given to minister to the saints. Minister to the saints. Do we have any saints here tonight? He says in verse 33, may the God of peace be with all of you. Amen. Now, amen doesn't mean it's the end, right? He's saying so be it. That's what it means. So be it. Now, let's continue reading in his letter. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Chancheria. Now, this word servant is the word deacon. Okay, Phoebe was considered to be a deacon, or it's also the word translated minister or pastor or teacher, depending on where you're looking. Um, a few times in Scripture it was translated servant, but usually it's always referring to a deacon or someone who is functioning in the ministry. And so, one of the things um, here, just looking at the end of verse 1, because I'm going to talk about some questions around, or point some things out to you about many of the women that Paul is, uh, mentions here in this letter, in this last part. Um, but at the end of verse 1, um, that town that is mentioned there, Cancaria, I think is maybe the proper pronunciation of it, that is where he's writing the letter from right, in Corinth, and it's a port city, and he says that this, this lady, Phoebe, she is a deacon or a minister there, and he goes on and he talks about her, and listen to what he says. Now, he lists like 29 people throughout this letter that, or well, in the first 16 verses that he wants them to address and to give his greetings to, 29 different people, individual or households. And the interesting thing is that a little over one-third of them, ten of them, are women. In fact, the first one he mentions is a woman. And because some people have been raised with the idea and they've been taught that women um, can't be in ministry or can't teach or just a bunch of, of garbage. And the truth is, is you can find scriptures that would give you that idea if you took those scriptures and isolated them and took them alone. But we know that proper... Uh, hermeneutics, proper study of the Bible, makes, tells us that we need to examine every Scripture through the lens of, of other Scriptures. 
So we look at things through, does it line up with these other Scriptures? And so here, one of the things that we see is in verse 2, he says, you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. Now, she was the one carrying this letter to Rome. So he's sending this letter with her, and so that's probably the reason he mentions her first. She's the carrier of it. He says, you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matter she may require your help. Assist her. Notice he didn't say, and she will help you. No, he said, you guys need to help her in any way that she needs your help. Not the other way around. He goes on and he says, because or for, indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. Now, the interesting thing about this word benefactor, it means leader or helper. Leader or helper. In fact, if you begin to look at the definition, I think we'll do that right now. The word in the Strong's, it means a patroness, I don't know if I'm saying that right, an assistant, a succorer, those are all very old words for us, and it comes from, it means to stand before, um, that is in rank, to preside, or by implication to practice, to maintain, be over, to rule, and listen to Thayer's definition, this is what the word, how, how Thayer's Greek Definition says it means. It means a woman set over others, a female guardian, a protectress, a patroness, caring for the affairs of others and aiding them with her resources. Sounds an awful lot like a pastor, doesn't it? Sounds an awful lot like a pastor, like a shepherd. And I don't know if that's what she was, but she certainly was someone who was very useful to the Lord and had ministered to many and looked out for many. And All right, verse 3. It says, Give my greetings to Prisca or Priscilla. If you, you know about Priscilla and Aquila. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers. Notice he calls them his co-workers. In Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. I don't know exactly how and where that happened, but in one of somewhere along the line, they put their neck on the line for him. It says, not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. There's a lot of people that owe thanks to them. He says, greet also the church that meets in their home. So they were leading a church, apparently. And here's where I would like to point out something interesting, just still answering or not really answering the question, but drawing your attention to the issue of women in ministry. I want you to see in, in Acts chapter 18, in 18 verses 1 through 3, this is where Paul meets Aquila and Priscilla. And so he says, after this he left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So notice who is mentioned first, the husband. 
which is appropriate for the culture and the times, and, and even today, that's often how you will see things listed, right? The head of the home as well as the wife. So the man and the woman. So here, they, according to their culture, which would be appropriate, because this is normally how it's done, he names Aquila and he met him, and, and he mentions his wife Priscilla and how they had come from Rome because the Jews had to leave. He says, Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. So we see right here that this was the first he'd met them. This was his first missionary journey into Corinth where he planted the church that he now is writing the letter of Romans from, right? And so he meets them there. But ever after that, he never refers to them again as Aquila and Priscilla. He always refers to them as Priscilla and Aquila in reverse order of what would be culturally normal for their time. And I don't know the reason for that. I have my own um, ideas on that. I think that it probably had to do with she was more prominent in the ministry. Maybe she took a more prominent role in preaching and teaching and ministering. Um, But let's look at a few more verses here. They're definitely included together in the ministry. And when he refers to them, he just refers to her first usually. Look down into verse... Uh, Let's see, verse 11. He says, He stayed there a year and a half teaching the Word of God among them. So he had some time in discipling them. And then in verse 18, After staying there for some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. And he shaved his head. Now they're back in the town. Uh, He had shaved his head, well, where he's writing this letter from, Rome. And then look at verse 24. It says, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the Scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. He had been... Okay, I I wasn't done reading over here in 18. So Priscilla and Aquila go with him on a missionary journey. In verse 19, when they reached Ephesus, he left them there. But he himself entered the synagogues and debated with the Jews. So they stayed behind. Well, here in verse 24, now a Jew named Apollos a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of Scriptures, arrives in Ephesus. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he knew only John's baptism. I've often wondered what that looked like, how you are accurately teaching Jesus but only know about John's baptism. Fascinating. But he goes on and says, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. And so then he ends up going further and, and, and doing a great work for the Lord. But they had took him aside and, and taught him more accurately. We're not going to go there and look at it, but I'll just mention it in Second Timothy uh, chapter 4 and verse 19. He talks... He's writing his letter to Pastor Timothy and he talks to them about, and he calls them Priscilla and Aquila again in that order. So just fascinating that he would name a woman first if women are supposed to just take a back seat and shut up. I mean, right? That would be rather strange that he would write his letter that way. All right, look here in verse 5. So greet also the church that meets in their home. 
Greet my dear friend Epinitus, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia, or the first fruits to Christ from Asia. Verse 6, greet Mary, we have another lady, who has worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia. Now, these are not the way you pronounce the names in the Greek, just so you know. I'm just going to give them an English pronunciation. Now, what's interesting is this, this Junia is a lady, and modern-day scholars, some people want to try to say that that's a male name or that it could be male or female name. But interestingly enough, the first 1,300 years after Christ, all the early church fathers and commentators that talked about her always referred to her as a woman. It took 1,300 years for people to start saying, oh, maybe that was a man. But the early church fathers, ones that were like 150, 200 years after her, referred to her as a woman and said she was an amazing woman of God. And then the interesting thing is here he says to greet these two, and he says he calls them his family members. Now, the word here is it means relatives. It could also mean your fellow countrymen or fellow Jews, but it's not likely that he's meaning his, his fellow Jews because there was plenty of Jews in Rome where he's writing this letter to. So he would have referred to them all that way then. But rather, it's more likely that they're his relatives, cousins, something. And not only are they his family members, he says they're his fellow prisoners. So they, they went to prison with him. And he says they are remarkable or noteworthy among the apostles. Now, some, some translations, including the one I'm holding in my hands, will say, we'll read this way, they are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles, but that is not in the original. In the eyes of is just simply added. It, it means they are outstanding among the apostles. They are considered noteworthy among the apostles. He is calling them, and we know this one person is a lady, an apostle. Now, not an apostle in the sense of the 12 apostles, because there's only 12 of them, people that had walked with Jesus. But Paul was an apostle, and he hadn't walked with Jesus, right? And in Ephesians, he is given, in Ephesians 4, Jesus has given the gift of apostleship to the church. They didn't walk with him. That was after he was resurrected and had gone to be with, with the Father. And so here, he just notes that even one of these women is called an apostle, Again, that doesn't float with the idea that women are supposed to sit down and shut up. We have one bold lady in this house. Amen. Everyone else is just quiet. They were also in Christ before me. So they were believers before Paul even. That's amazing. Verse 8, he says, Greet Ampelitus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Now, that is, um, that's how you'd pronounce it in the Greek, actually, stakus, stakus, something like that. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Now, apparently, Aristobulus either had died already or maybe was not a believer, but he's saying to greet those in, in that person's household. Greet Herodion, my family member. Greet those who belong to the household of Narcissus. Again, this is naming, not saying to greet that person, but greet those of, of that household. Maybe that person was deceased. 
is with the Lord or just was not a believer. But greet those who are in the Lord. Then he, then he names in verse 12, he mentions two more women. Greet Trophenia and Trophasa. Two, two ladies who have worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another lady, who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother and mine. So either, either she was his mother or as an adopted mother, right? But another lady that he in particular wanted them to, to greet. Greet uh, Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who are with them. Greet Philogos and Julia. Julia is another female name. It's the female version of like Julius, Julius Caesar. It's the female version of that. And notice it says to greet um, these two, Philogos and Julia, Nerus and his sister, so another lady, and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send you greetings. So this was quite a, quite a cast of people that he knew personally that were special to him and that he'd worked with and that he'd called co-workers and maybe they'd been on missionary journeys. I mean, some of these names you can look at and you can find them in the books of Acts and other, other places and other letters where they talk about them and how they'd work together. But he, he names all these people and he ends it with saying, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send you greetings. Now, in the Middle East, that's their normal form of greeting is to kiss, right? I mean, everyone does it. When you go to, especially if they know you in the Middle East, whether it be in places that I've been in the Middle East, they'll do this when you shake hands. You know, they bump cheeks on this side and then this side. They're not actually kissing you, but they'll make a kiss sound, right? And so that's their greeting. That's the customary greeting. Well, in Paul is just making the distinction that Make it be a holy greeting. It should be holy. Right? It should, he, he's not saying that in a culture where they don't kiss that you should go around kissing people. But your greeting should be a holy greeting. The word, in fact, salute. If you're reading maybe the King James, it would say salute one another with a holy kiss. The word salute, and you'll see this later in the chapter, it's a word in, in the Bible I'm reading, it's translated greeting, but the word means to enfold within your arms, to embrace, all right? So here, we don't kiss really, but we hug each other, right? So make the greeting be a holy greeting. So how do you do that? Just God bless you as you hug them. Now it went from being a hi, good to see you, to a holy greeting, blessing on them. Pretty easy, isn't it? Verse 17, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teachings that you learned. Avoid them. Now, we're going to take some time and look at this. We're getting close time to close, so I'm going to have uh, you on the screen help me with finding some, some references. You can uh, prepare with 1 Corinthians 5. 9 through 11. I don't want it up yet, but you can get that ready. 1 Corinthians 5. So here, one of the things to notice is when he says um, he's urging them, he's saying he, he's taking special real estate in this letter to warn them about an issue. 
and to warn them about a certain kind of people. And he says to watch out, he says to mark them, is how a lot of the literal translations word it, mark them. But it has the idea, when you look at the meaning, to take aim at. Now, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to shoot them, but you are to take aim at them to spy, it means. Me- meaning you fixed your sights on them. You keep your eye on them, would be how we'd say it today. Keep your eye on them. Mark them. Know who they are that are doing this. And those who are creating divisions. Man, don't let that be you. Don't create divisions. You know, back in chapter 14, he just went through all of this about people creating divisions and arguing about things that are matters of conscience, not doctrine. And so he's, he's bringing this up again, and, he, and they put stumbling blocks, obstacles, contrary to the teaching that you learned. In fact, he takes it even further, and he says, avoid them. Even avoid them. Don't hang out with them. That's strong language. Let's see uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11 up on the board. So he tells them here, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate. Now, this is in in 1 Corinthians 5. This is where there was a guy sleeping with his dad's wife, apparently his stepmom. And people in the church were accepting of it and even proud and boasting of the fact that we're so tolerant. And he gives them the what for and tells them to hand that person over to the devil and excommunicate him. And then once they've done all of that, he, and the purpose of it wasn't to make the person um, just hang out with the devil. The purpose was that in the day of the Lord, his spirit would be saved. That, that was the end purpose. It was for his good and for the good of everyone watching so that the fear of the Lord would come on them, right? It was not just because we don't like them. So... Here, now he goes further in verse 9, and he says, and by the way, he's going to broaden even what he was telling them. He said, I wrote to you in a letter not to so associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. But now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer. Anyone who calls himself a brother, those are the ones that you are to mark if they're doing this list of things, sexually immoral, greedy, idolater, verbally abusive, a drunkard, or a swindler. Don't even eat with such a person. So very strong language, much like what we just read here in Romans. He says, don't associate with them. Okay, find um, Titus 3, verse 9, and I'm going to read to you. While you're finding Titus 3, I'm going to read out of 2 Thessalonians 3, where he says something similar. You know, it's important, as you know, as is my custom, I will usually give you several witnesses from Scripture that say the point I'm making. Because we should not just take one Scripture and isolate it and make a doctrine. If it's something, and this is actually a doctrine that um, in the modern church is not practiced very much. People are, are too tolerant of sin, right? And so here he gives instructions for how these things are supposed to go down. In Second Thessalonians 3 and verse 6, he says, Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother or sister who is idle and does not live according to the tradition received from us. And then down in in several verses later, he goes on and he 
amplifies it and he says, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take note of that person. Don't associate with him so that he may be ashamed. Yet don't consider him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. But don't associate with him. And then again in in 2 Timothy 3, we see more of the same. He says, he says, know this, hard times will come in the last days. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, holding to a form of godliness, see, claiming to be brothers, but denying its power. Avoid these people. Avoid them. Strong language. All right, what does Titus 3, verse 9 through 11 tell us? So here he's writing to Titus, and he tells him the same things. He says, avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning knowing that such a person is perverted and sins being self-condemned. Reject the divisive person. I say all of that and point all of that out to say, let's not let that be us. Let's not be the divisive person, the person who's gossiping or the person who is dividing people. I mean, we should divide good from evil. But I'm saying we're, we don't want to be the kind that divides brothers, that div- divides family or divides church or divides... and. In verse, um, verse 17, 18, he goes on and he says a little bit more about this. He says, because such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They're just serving themselves. It's for their benefit. They're selfish. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. The, the unsuspecting, that word means the gullible or the naive. They deceive the naive. And in, in 2 Timothy 2.16, it talks about how that can be a gangrene and how deceptive teachings can spread. You know, that's one of the, he compares it to gangrene. That's one of the things that they know about that particular uh, disease or infection is how rapidly it spreads and how deadly it is. Man, they will cut. If you get gangrene in your foot, they'll cut your leg off to stop it from going into the rest of your body. I mean, there is serious consequences to that kind of thing. And, I mean, Jesus said things about, right, cutting off your hand or your foot or plucking out your eye rather than going to hell. I mean, that is how big of a deal these separations can be. It'd be better to live that way. It'd be better to have your foot cut off than, you know, infect your whole body and your whole body die. Well, in, in Hebrews 12, 15, he also, he talks about a root of bitterness. He says, see to it that none of you are taken up with a root of bitterness. He said, and by it, many will be defiled. So this, this let me say it a different way. Strife, division, those things are a gangrene that will spread. And if you start yammering to your neighbors about things like that, that'll start putting seeds of bitterness out. And those things have to be dealt with. And do not allow that. 
to come from your mouth. And when, some, when you see someone doing that, man, take a bold stand on it and say, hey, you know what? I'm, I don't, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. There's a lot of things you're just better off not knowing. Right? I'm so grateful that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. I mean, how difficult would it be for me if I knew every last one of your sins? Right? Because we see a polished exterior. And this is a group of good-looking people, right? We just see a polished exterior. We, we don't see the heart. The Lord sees the heart, and in spite of that, because of the blood and because of the righteousness that He put on you, that's what He sees. That's the good news for you and I, and I'm so glad that I can't see those things and that it would affect how I might minister or not minister, right? There's some things as pastor I just don't want to know because I can stand up here and say things and speak right to your issue and right to your heart and right to the thing that you're dealing with, and I don't have a clue that I, I, about your situation. I just know the Lord's needing that brought out, and I bring it out. I, one, one of the things, I just be very bold, I've said this before, I do not preach to problems in this house. Problems I know about in you. I don't preach to those kind of problems. If I need to address that to you, I'll come address you personally. But if I'm stepping on your toes in this house, it's because that's what the Lord's bringing out, and I probably don't know anything about it. Okay? All right. In verse 18, he, he talked about these unsuspecting these gullible people. Did you know that there is... I put up on the screen in the uh, in New English translation, if we have that, if we do not put it in the message, Proverbs 14, verse 15. Proverbs 14, verse 15. We're going to go just a little bit later tonight because I want to close out the book of Romans for this series tonight. We don't have much further. Proverbs... 15 says this, uh, 14 verse 15, says a naive person believes everything, but the shrewd person discerns his steps. Put it up in the message. A shrewd person discerns his steps, but a naive person just believes everything, believes anything. Does the gullible believe anything they're told? The prudent sift and weigh every word. Sift and weigh every word. I am amazed sometimes at the goofiness that people will believe because they get off into silliness, just like this whole flat earth silliness. There's people that believe the earth is flat. And if you want to believe the earth is flat, be my guest. I don't care. But I'm going to go right on and continue traveling around the world while you live on a flat one. But my point is, is there are people that believe this and are like drawing major dividing lines and separating friendships and, and like won't have anything to do with... I had a personal friend that was a good dear friend to me that he completely wrote me off, thinks I'm on the way to hell because I will not accept that the earth is flat. But that kind of person... I mean like I have received letter after email after email, horrible emails from this person. I mean just puts me, I mean, it's horrible, right? And I finally, um, in the beginning, I was responding and, 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 you know, walking in love and, hey, can we focus on what's important? Can we, we're going to share heaven together. So let's share the earth, whether it's flat or round. Let, let's share it in friendship and in love, right? Oh, no, no way. You know, you're a false teacher and I, 
You know, so all these things. So that kind of divisive person, he, he's gone to my friends. He's gone to my relatives, tried to tell them how horrible I am, how I'm a false teacher. He tells me because of my belief, refusal to believe in the flat earth, that's why my kids had gotten um, uh, diabetes. You know, thank God for His healing power. It doesn't matter what it is. Listen, I say all of that to say that it's, we have instructions on how to handle that. Number one, walk in forgiveness. Walk in love like water on a duck's back. Roll it off. Give it no attention. Give it no space. Right? That's now an individual that I won't respond to emails from him. I won't pick up the phone calls from him. I won't respond to text messages because I won't have anything to do with him until that changes. The only reason I haven't blocked his number or blocked his email because I'm letting a lifeline open that in the event he would ever want to repent, I would welcome that and I would welcome his relationship back. Right? So my point is, is do I, do I, how do we, I still view him as a brother, but he's a deceived brother, right? I pray that the Lord will enlighten him, that he'll walk right in the matter. I certainly don't wish him ill. I pray that the Lord will bless him mightily and that the goodness of God on his life will be a mark that brings him to clarity of vision, clarity of sight. But I say all of that to bring us back here. What's he, he's telling them, he says, there are people out there that are just unsuspecting and they're naive and they could be convinced into this, these teachings that divide, things that separate believers. And we don't want, we want to guard against that. Um, find John 17, verse 17 for the screen. And I'm going to read, while you're finding that, I'll read two places for you. There is an antidote. I chuckled when Karen, as she opened the service, said that there's an antidote. Because I leaned over and I told Jen, I said, I was actually planning on using that word tonight. Antidote. There is an antidote for being naive and being simple. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean ignorant in the way of you just don't know something. It, it carries the idea of gullibleness. Well, here's the antidote. In Psalms 19, verse 7, it says, The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. Inexperienced wise. The word of the Lord will make you sharper. It'll make you smarter. It'll make you more intelligent if you'll take it and apply it that way. Hey, listen, this summer when I was taking my um, training for my pilot's license and doing what they were saying, you know, um, you know, if, if you were the sharpest person around, you could do it in two weeks. Well, we did it in 12 days. But everyone else is saying, oh, it's going to take three or four months to get it accomplished. Well, I don't say that because I'm so smart. But what I did is I got into that and I went into it asking the Lord to help me, number one. And number two, I found scriptures that I could stand on and that I could quote and that I could believe God for a supernatural intelligence and ability to recall what I'm being taught and retaining what I'm being taught that goes far beyond my natural ability. And I believed with all my heart that the Word of God would make me more intelligent, make my memory better as I took this training. And that's exactly what happened. 
I mean, I was pressed on time. We would be up early. We would be up late. There was some of the night flights we did. We didn't get back and get to bed until 3 a.m. Because, well, we had, yeah, we had a problem on the plane, and so we just got back late that night. But then we're back up early, and so you're low on sleep. You're on just overload of information. And, and in the aviation world, they just love acronyms. You know, if they could take a, if, if they could make an acronym for the word I, like I like something, they would do it. Right? They just, everything they can, they'll shorten it into to a couple letters. And so you've got all these things you're trying to remember. And I found the Word of God. And, and one of the scriptures I stood on was that how I will be wiser than my instructors. And I'd, every morning I would quote that. I would get up. It didn't matter how little sleep I had gotten. I would get up and I would take the Word and I would let the Word saturate into me and renew my mind with the Word because I knew I needed to have that that day to be able to accomplish what we set out to accomplish. And by God's grace and Him helping me, we did. Also over in Psalms 119, verse 130, it says, The revelation of your word brings light and gives understanding to the inexperienced. See, that's the antidote to being gullible. If you're easily deceived, the antidote is having a renewed mind, which Paul talked about earlier, right, in the book of Romans. Having a renewed mind. Put up uh, John 17, verse 17. Jesus is praying to the Father here, and this is before he goes to the cross, and he says, he says, sanctify them. He's praying for believers. Sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. Sanctify means to set apart. Set apart by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. There is a sanctifying, purifying, sharpening effect that takes place in your mind by the truth. If you struggle with memory, if you struggle with brain fog, let the word of God dwell in you richly and overcome that. It is absolutely able to do that. All right, let's, let's finish here. I'll start in verse 19 of Romans 16. The report of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and yet innocent about what is evil. The word innocent means unmixed with what is evil. Innocent about what is evil. Focus on what is good. You know, not all knowledge is good. I mean, Adam and Eve were doing just fine in the garden with only the knowledge of good. But as soon as they got the knowledge of evil, everything went to pot. Right? So there's some things that you just don't need to have the knowledge of. You need to just sometimes shut that news off. And, and in our modern day, we just think the more knowledge we have, the better. Nuh-uh. Focus on what is good, what is lovely, what is of a good report. It doesn't mean we should be ignorant of the devil's devices. No, we know his schemes, but we know the way to overcome them. You know, the way to recognize a counterfeit dollar bill isn't to study a bunch of counterfeits and know all about the counterfeits, right? It's to study the real deal so that when a counterfeit shows up, you automatically notice that's not the real thing. Verse 20 says, The God of peace. I'm so grateful that he's the God of peace. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I like that. Under your feet. You know, no matter how big of a heel you think you are in the body of Christ, even if you're the foot of, foot of the body of Christ, like the lowest of the low, you're still above the devil. You're still part of the body. You still have the fullness of Christ available to you, and you are still on top of the devil. 
Verse 21, now verses 21 through 23 may have been written by the fellow named in verse 22, um, like kind of adding his own greeting. But it says, Timothy, my co-worker, and Lucius, some people, there's disagreements whether that's um, Luke, Dr. Luke, or whether it's another one, um, Jason and Sassipater, my fellow countrymen, greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. So Paul had simply had this guy scribe it for him. So he dictated it to him, and he was the writer of this letter. Because in one of the other letters, I think it's Galatians, Paul says, I wrote this with my own hand. He specified that. So apparently it must have been normal for him to have, have a scribe. In verse 23, Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now to him who is able to establish or strengthen you, according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to Him be the glory forever. Amen. I want to bring you back to verse 25 and we'll close. It says, Not to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel or to establish you according to my gospel. If you want to be strengthened in established, firmly established. If you want that to be you, then allow the gospel to take root in you. Make it be your reality. And what I mean is, I know there's wind and waves and problems and, and inflation and all these things out there, right? But don't allow those things to move you because you are rooted and established, firmly established in the rock that is not moved or is not shaken. And in that rock is all the supply of everything that you need to walk in victory, of everything that you need to be an overcomer. In that rock is everything you need to be unshakable. And here, remember going all the way back to the beginning of, of Romans where he said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel, the good news about him is the power of God. What well, he's saying something similar. Now to him who is able to establish or strengthen, that's by the power of God, you according to my gospel, remember that's the power of God, the gospel, and the proclamation about Jesus Christ. It is in, let's say it this way, Jesus said to Peter, he said on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. What was the rock he was talking about? It was the revelation of the gospel of Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and all that that entailed. It was the revelation of who Jesus is was that rock. And on that revelation, you and I are more than conquerors. Stand with me if you would. Worship team, you can come. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us victory, that you have given us the Spirit of the Lord, your Spirit, in us and on us. Father, thank you for the sanctifying blood of Jesus, for giving us your righteousness, that we can come and stand before you, Father, and call you by name. 
Thank you that you know us and call us by name. Father, thank you that you have given us the authority to be more than conquerors. That you have given us all that we need for life and godliness. Lord, I bless you. And we worship you tonight. And we just say, Lord, have your way in us. Give us even greater revelation. Open our eyes and our ears in a greater way with better understanding of who You are, of what You are doing in this time and season. Father, that You really are Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, I thank You that Your Spirit would stir us tonight. Even as we, as we worship and as we go to our homes and lay in our beds and sleep tonight, that by Your Spirit there would be a strengthening, a, a, a certifying within us of the things that we have learned in Romans during these last six months. I thank You for this, Father, and we bless You in the mighty name of Jesus. And Amen. Let's worship. Lord, we thank you for being the way maker. Lord, thank you that you are a miracle worker. Father, we recognize your goodness tonight. And we bless you. Someone say, Lord, I bless you. He is good to me. Say that. Um, I'm going to ask you all to sit down uh, for just a second. Because I'm going to talk for a really long time. Now, anybody who knows me knows that's a, a total joke. Um, but there was something uh, a little earlier in the service that I felt the Lord press on my heart to share. Um, and, well, first of all, if there's anybody here tonight that doesn't know uh, Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life, um, I just ask you to, to stand um, right now. If, if you feel the Lord really pressing on your heart and you don't know him, I just ask you to stand. Is there anybody here tonight that doesn't know the Lord? All right, if not, um, this is what I felt the Lord put on my heart to share when we were talking about um, how Paul came not in word only, but also in power. And, and then how um, he also talked about how the people there were imitators of him and of the Lord Jesus. And we know, obviously, Jesus walked in um, amazing power. And so we are to be imitators of him. And so this is what I just, I kind of saw um, that those of you tonight who would like to begin walking in, in greater power than we had before, um, I just ask you to stand and put out your hands to the Lord um, if, if you would like that. And let's just say this simple prayer. Father God. Father God, you see my heart. You see my heart. And you see these hands. You see these hands. I want to be a, a stream of life for you. I want to be a stream of life for you. That those that I come and touch, those that I come and touch, would see your love. Would see your love. And want to know you. And want to know you. In a personal way. In a personal way. Father God, I thank you for this. Father God, I thank you for this. 
And I receive it in Jesus' name. And I receive it in Jesus' name. You know, I, I don't know that I say this often enough because I expect you to know it. But I should say it oftener, so I'm going to say it tonight. You know, when the Lord gives you something, whether it be during the service or during worship, um, especially during worship is a good time to be listening. Not just singing, but listening to the Lord. And if He would minister something through you to the people, that come up and uh, let me know. And if it bears witness with me too, we'll, we're going to make room for that because we're His people, the sheep of His pasture. Right? And so we want to always, every service, there's opportunity for the Lord to minister through you. Okay? This is not just a few select people up front, but every person has the opportunity to allow the Lord to minister through them. And this is one of the ways that we um, grow up in walking in the gifts of the Spirit. But we have to be bold enough to step out and do that. Thank you, Eric, for doing that. Pastor David, did you have something to share? It's been our privilege to be here tonight and uh, be fed, amen? You guys got a great pastor here with a great word. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that, that doesn't happen in every church. You know, Barbara and I have been traveling around a little bit more since we were not pastoring it as, you know, having to be there. <clears throat> but, uh, this is a great place to be. I want to encourage you, if you don't have a home church, connect here. Amen. Amen. We experience the love of God, the worship, man, I tell you. This is top gun stuff here. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, the Lord's good. He's, doing, he's done great and mighty things in my life here in the last few months. I have a testimony coming up. I can't give it yet to the body of Christ, but uh, it'll be finalized here pretty soon and official and all those kind of things. But I'm going to give testimony of what God has done for healing in my body. I was diagnosed with an incurable disease and it's, it's curable. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And because uh, just standing on the word and uh, I was receiving communion. I don't know if you realize the value that's in communion. We, we need to take it more often probably. Amen. And it keeps judgments out of our life. If we judge ourselves, yes. and we discern his body and see what he did for us at the cross. Amen. And how we treat one another. It's all in that same package. Anyhow, God's so good. And the, the, I think as you start out, I would have despaired unless I had seen the goodness of the Lord. Amen. In the land of the living. We, none of us needs to despair tonight because we got a God who, like we just sang there. Amen. The miracle worker. He is the way maker. He's all those things. Just trusted him. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Are you blessed? Yes. All right. Make sure some of that blessing runs over, spills over onto your neighbors after the service. And bless someone. Encourage people. Be, be an encouragement. All right, one way that we love God in this house is how?
Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We're in the house tonight where the presence of the Lord is. You know why? You brought him. Amen. Where two or three are gathered there, he is in their midst. Of course, we saw that in Revelation. He's walking among the churches and he's here. So, 1 Peter 2.9, I love this verse. You are a chosen generation. I'm, I'm going to speak to your identity in this scripture. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are uh, a peculiar person. <laughs> I don't know why that's in there, but it's in there. And the reason why you're all of that is that, that you can show forth the praises of him that called you out of darkness and into his glorious, marvelous, fabulous light. I added a few adjectives in there. But you've been called out of darkness. That's why you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a chosen generation. See, that's your identity. You're not of the world. You're in it, but you're not of it. And the first and foremost uh, privilege and honor that we have as believers is to give God all the glory through pra by praising him. Do you know that the antidote, say antidote, antidote. the antidote for anxiety, stress, fear, depression, and believe me, the world is feeling that right now, is praise. It's Isaiah 60 verse 3. And I'm going to read that. It says to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. See, depression is a spirit, but he gives us the antidote to it. The garment of praise. See, if Jesus inhabits the praises of his people, then he is there and no spirit of heaviness can stay. See the antidote? In verse 30, or Psalms 30, it says in verse 11, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you. See, God wants you to get to the end of yourself. And just put on Jesus. And putting on Jesus is putting on praise. And he said, don't be silent about this. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So that is all uh, appetizer to the, ver to the chapter in Psalms of 145 that I really wanted to share with you. 145, if you get a chance to read it when you get home, it's so good. But it starts off with, I will exalt you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever. Every day I will bless you. And I will praise your name forever and ever. And through this whole chapter, there's four big reasons why we can bless him. In verse 3, for his greatness. He's great. God is great. Our Father is great. In verse 7, number 2, we can praise him for his goodness. God's a good God. He's faithful and he's good. He's good to his kids. And in verse 12, 
for his glorious majesty. We praise him for that. He's glorious. And number four in verse 17 is he is gracious. Oh my, have you felt the graciousness of the Lord lately? His loving kindness, his tender mercy. Amen. This is who our God is. And we have an opportunity tonight as family, let's stand up together, to praise him for these just four of many attributes that he has been so good, so great, so gracious, and full of gloriousness for each and every one of us. Amen. the reason for the season you're really the reason for every season but in particular you are the hope for the whole world that was born on a day and came into the earth and took on flesh and blood and walked the earth as a man taking on all the sins of mankind with the intent of establishing relationship back to the Father for all he created. You forgave all our sins by your precious blood. And we believe well everything you said. You are the living word. Every word you have spoken, we take it to heart. We believe you, Jesus. We live for you. We long for you. We desire you. We know you came as a suffering servant the first time, but the second time, you're coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. Glory to God. The government will be upon your shoulders. And we love you. We worship you. We magnify you in our midst tonight. Have your way. Walk among us. Our hearts are ever open to you. Our eyes are looking upon you, Jesus. You're the author and finisher of our faith. You're the reason we exist. We're so grateful to be here tonight among like-minded believers, our family, who we love with tender love. We are really, truly the most blessed people on the face of the earth. So turn to your neighbor tonight. One way we love God is by loving one another. Amen. And you do that so well. Well, good evening again to you all. It's good to see you tonight. We are glad to celebrate Jesus together. How about you? Anyone here for the very first time? We'd like to welcome any guests that are in the house tonight. This is your first time to Church of the Word International. Could you just raise your hand at us a little bit so we can acknowledge you? We're grateful. Oh, there's some in the back here? I'm not... Okay, welcome to Church of the Word International. We're glad you're with us tonight. Anyone over here? All right. Well, we're glad, we're glad you're all with us. We're going to be blessed tonight. I believe that the Lord has something to minister to us tonight through our pastor. So it's always good to come together and encourage one another 
and be strengthened in the word. So we're going to return the tithe to the Lord. So if you need a cash, cash envelope, you can raise your hand and our ushers will see that you get one. And if you're giving by credit card, please fill out all of the blanks. If you're giving by check, you can make it out to CWI. God wants us to be blessed and prosperous. Do you know that? Do you really believe that? He really wants that for us. And you know, that's one of the distinctions between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. God wants to give to us. The devil wants to take from us. God wants to see us increase and flourish and come up. And the enemy wants to destroy and see you decrease and, you know, just totally take from you. So it's, it's a big distinction there. But just because that's in God's heart, just because that's his will for you and I to be blessed, to be prosperous, it doesn't just fall upon us. It's, it's not just an automatic. We have a part to play. If you study the scriptures, you'll see that there's laws of increase or steps to prosperity that he's set up and that governs increase. These laws govern increase. And it's really up to us to participate or not. It's up to you and I um, to align with them or not. So last week in the prior, we had talked about the one of the first laws of increase is to put God first, to honor the Lord. He's, he's first place. There's only one first place. There can't be several. So you have to really get that straightened out in your heart that he's the Lord. He's the master. He's the one worthy of your worship and, and your service. And we also talked about demonstrating that with the tithe, with the first 10%, not the last 10%. If you think you could spare it, it's the first right off the top. It belongs to him. So you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and the next law of increase we're going to look at is the law of sowing and reaping. First, or 2 Corinthians 9. So that's, it's really straightforward, just like that sounds. You sow, and then you'll reap. You give, and then you'll get. And it's a law that works for everybody, to the positive or to the negative. First Corinthians, why do I keep saying that? It's Second Corinthians. <laughs> Second Corinthians 9, 6 says this. It says, remember this. Why? Maybe we have a you know, potential or opportunity to forget it, let it slip, not be uh, keeping ourselves um, aware of this law. It says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So if you... Sow a little bit, what are you going to get? Little. If you sow big, what are you going to get? Big. So you and I really have a hand in this. Now, Luke, I guess I didn't tell you to go there, but I'm going to read Luke 6.38. says this, says, give, and it shall be, not maybe, it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Wow, whatever measure we use. So you and I have a pretty big hand on what's poured into our lap, right? Whatever measure I'm using, it'll be given back to me. Do you believe that? Yeah. Do you believe that? Well, you know, we should regularly assess that measure. What, are, what am I measuring out? What, is, what am I sowing? You know, in Galatians 6, I think it's verse 7, says, 
you know, that whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. Whatever. So we're talking right now about money, but this, listen, this encompasses every area of your life, every dimension, every realm. What are you sowing? You know, are you sowing seeds of mercy? Are you sowing seeds of harshness, expecting to reap seeds of mercy? Not going to (laughs) work. It's like sowing green beans and expecting to reap a watermelon. (laughs) So assess your measure. Assess what what you're putting in the ground. You know, do you want friends? Are you, well, who are you being a friend to? You want someone to care about your needs and um, your struggles and your things. Well, who are you investing in? Who are you concerning yourself with? Whose things are you meeting? You know, maybe, well, I just, nobody listens to me. Nobody respects me or um, everybody's so mean to me. Well, just, I'm not saying that you always get everything that's coming to you, you've, but check up what are you sowing? What are the seeds that you're sowing? And not always does it come from the same place that you sowed. Um, you know, if I sow into a certain individual, it doesn't mean that, okay, now it's going to be reciprocated from that individual necessarily, but the seeds I'm sowing, I will receive. I will get a harvest on those kinds of seeds. You will get, if you sow in the natural, if you sow certain type of seed in the ground, you're going to get a harvest on that. If I want corn, I better sow corn. I was reminded of um, thinking on this. I was remembered when the boys were little, and we lived in Colorado still. So they were probably four. Maybe Carson was four. Maybe Adrian was six, something like that. It was, I think it was the year we, before we moved in here. And uh, Pastor Sid had been, he had taken several trips to Liberia, Africa, and met some pastors there. And this particular evening, these pastors were at our house for supper. I guess I should back up. After those trips, you would have showed them pictures of the children in Liberia, Africa, who have nothing to play with. I mean, a stick, you know, some little piece of trash or whatever. They don't have toys like children do here. And so, you know, Daddy had told them and showed them pictures, and this is all they have to play with. And, you know, we teach our children on sowing and reaping and giving and, and that kind of thing. So they had that in them. But anyways, these pastors were at our house for supper, and before they went to leave, here comes these boys out of their bedroom clutching handfuls of matchbox cars. Now, we never told them to do that. They just thought of this and had it in their heart, compassion for the children in Liberia, uh, we want to give you our cars. And so they, they sold them into, into, these, um, into these children. Well, would you know, for years afterwards, these boys reaped cars. I mean, you know, I just, I, I'll bet till they were 12, I don't know, they reaped cars upon cars, way more than they ever sowed. And interesting enough that, you know, it wasn't like, they were getting an abundance of like animals or dinosaurs or you know others of their favorite toys. It was cars. They got cars. Why? Because they sowed cars. This law will work for small and great alike. So notice also that the giving or the sowing comes before the reaping. So some people, you know, they're wanting to reap something they haven't sowed for yet. So there is an order to that. And I think... Um, We'll touch more on that later, but for now, let's take a hold of your tithes and offerings, and let's just honor the Lord with that.
Father, we're grateful that we can come together and that we can worship you tonight, that we can bring you a tithe. And we just thank you, Lord, for being so good to us. We remember the good things you've done in our lives. And we remember how you've delivered us and brought us out. So we just return the tithe to you as part of our worship. We thank you for providing for us, for meeting every need in this house. And we give you all the glory as we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets, and the people will give to the Lord. Tomorrow, Christmas CWI party here at the church at 4 p.m. So expect a good time. It's always fun, and Debbie always does a wonderful job at that. The Youth and Young Adult Impact Christmas Party is going to be this coming week, Tuesday, here at the building. Is that correct? At the building. Okay. 6 to 10 p.m. It says, be sure to wear socks. That sounds like fun. I wonder how young you can be. <laughs> uh, anyway, also, I want you to mark your calendars. So for our Christmas Eve service, it's going to be at 4 p.m., so that's a, a time change. Also, that it's our missions offering time, our missions Saturday. So be prepared for that. And also our New Year's Eve weekend is not going to be new. Okay, I'm, I'm butchering that. It, we don't have a service Saturday night there. It's Sunday morning. So that's why we want you to mark your calendars. If you're like me, you can uh, get uh, forgetful sometimes. So mark your calendars, 10 a.m. First day of the year we get to come to church. Isn't that great? <laughs> and we're still collecting our Christmas cards. So if you have Christmas cards for your church family, there's a box in the back. And we will help you see that they get to their persons. All right. Did I forget anything? I guess not. All right. Pastor, you come bless the people. Good evening. Don't we serve a wonderful God? I look around and I see so much of God's goodness all around us. You know, what you focus on will expand. And if you are <clears throat> the kind of person that gets caught up in looking at what's wrong, you're going to find more and more and more things that are wrong. But if you will open your eyes to the goodness of God. You know, the psalmist said, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He didn't regulate it off to some faraway place once I get to heaven. But he said, in the land of the living. How many of you are in the land of the living tonight? Then expect to see the goodness of God. Like it's a shadow that just comes over you. It's a train that chases you down. You can't get away from it, right? Because the goodness of God is out to get you. Someone say that. The goodness of God is out to get me. Hallelujah. I want to cover a few things before we get into the sermon. And uh, first of all, I want to recognize and honor Pastor David Landis. David and Barbara are with us tonight. If you would stand up, please. <clears throat> Many of you know them and, and probably were here when he ministered here not so long ago, or maybe it's a little longer ago than I think, but this year, all right, he was here with us and... Um, for those of you that are new here, they've been servants to 
the Lord and to His people for many, many, many years, pastoring Word of Grace in, uh, in Harrisburg and other churches before that. And so one of the things that for me, as I look around and I see people, um, people that have experience behind them and have been for a long time in the Lord is very encouraging to me. So if you look around and you see white hair, right? Experience is what white hair says. If you look around and see white hair and someone who's been faithful in the Lord, you know, encourage those people and be inspired by what the Lord has done through them. You know, a big part of victory is just refusing to quit. Just refusing to quit. And if you'll stay steadfast in endurance, keeping your faith on the Lord, you know what? You're going to have the victory. And so David and Barbara have been a wonderful example to those that know them of that. And I would just like to pray a blessing over the two of you. And um, we, we believe that the Lord hears us when we pray, don't we, in this house? So that what we ask of Him, He would do for them. So stretch out your hands to the Lord and to them. Father, I thank You that You have been good to David and Barb and that You have brought them into Your kingdom, that You assigned them a place in the body, gave them things to do. And Lord, we just speak blessing over them in the name of Jesus, that in their latter years that they would still produce fruit that, that would take a lot less effort, Father. That what they put their hands to and what they put their minds to and, and what they agree together on, that it would be done in the kingdom and on the earth. And I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you that you continually meet every need and bring increase to them from every side, but spiritually, soulishly, and physically. I thank you for this in Jesus' name and amen. Amen. <clears throat> We have, I'll give you a quick update on our church plant that we are, have been praying about down in Richmond, Virginia, in the Richmond area. And um, some of you are on the email list, and I send that out to you. If you uh, would like to be on that prayer list and to be one of the people that are seeing this through in prayer, um, just send an email uh, to me, you can find that on the bulletin, the email address, and say you'd like to be added to the church plant prayer list, and we'll put you on there. So right now, some of the dates that we have and that we've been praying about, on January 5th, we have, Brian Wills has scheduled a meeting with uh, currently 12 people, and he's going to speak with some more people, but 12 that are interested in what the Lord has put on our heart for that region. And so they're going to come to Brian's house and then Apostle Dale and Terry and Jen and I will go down on January 5th and kind of have a meet and greet and, and, and just share what the Lord's put on our heart and, and what the Lord has been dealing with us to do. And where, what I'm asking you to agree with in prayer is that the right people would be ministered to to be a part of the work, the ones the Lord wants to be a part of the work. We don't, you know, you can, you can have amazing distractions by having the wrong people hooked to what you're doing. So we don't want that. We want the right people and that the Lord would minister to the hearts of those that He wants involved with that work. And so that's one of the prayer requests. The other is um, we are looking at starting two different Bible studies down there um, on alternating weeks starting the last week of January. So we would be going down every week for a Bible study and then in several months' time have 
a uh, coming together and kind of like a grand opening of the church and the church plant. So what we need is the not only the timing, but the how-tos, the subjects for the Bible study and, and all of that, right? So be in agreement with us for those things. And, you know, Paul, he, he many times asked the believers that he would write letters to to pray for him in regards to these types of things. And the reason Paul would request that is because he knew it would make a difference. He wasn't just trying to give them something to do and make them busy and fill up their schedule with prayer requests. But he did it because he believed that it would be the difference between the right things happening or not. And so with you and I putting our faith and confidence in the Lord, that he is just as keenly interested today in this hour and season in the church being the body of Christ in the earth and the salt and the light that he created it to be as he was in Paul's day. So these requests are, are um, not only expected of the Lord, but He anticipates them. So let's bring our requests to Him in that regard. And Jen already mentioned that we have um, Christmas Eve, next weekend service is our last service of the year. So if you're doing any year-end giving... Um, if you are wanting to bring your mission giving, because that'll be the last service of the month, um, bring it to next week's service. And then we're looking forward to starting the first day of the year together. And I just have such a great expectation of what the Lord is doing, even starting and has started. And, and I think that, you know, we've been coming through a time of pressure as a body, as Church of the Word, we've been coming through a time uh, where we've been squeezed, okay? And one thing that I know is that when pressure comes, you know, the more pressure you have on you, the more difficult times you have on you, the more opportunity there is for God to show up and show off. And so we need to just put our expectations that the Lord is going to do everything that He said He would do for us. And um, we don't rejoice that we have pressure, but we rejoice that we have a way through the pressure, That's right. right? And let's keep our, uh, and I'll just encourage you with that too. We have everywhere, I've been talking to a number of different ministers and pastors from different bodies and people from different organizations, people that are not talking to each other, right? And I'm hearing a theme in all of them, and we addressed this several weeks ago in this house, and that was how people have been feeling isolated, they've been feeling weakened, they've been feeling under a cloud of oppression or attack or, or depression, or people have been, have been tempted with thoughts of suicide, all these different things. And I've been hearing this like way more than normal across the body of Christ, not just in this house. And so I've been encouraging those people that I've been hearing that from is, is what we did here and what we've been believing and what we've been seeing and knowing that, you know what, when the enemy sees you about, when the enemy sees you about the kingdom business, when you're doing the work of the Lord, when you are setting out to take new territory back, he's going to obviously come against it because he doesn't like that. But the thing to do is not to run back to the castle and hide, but to go on the offensive and just fight all the more, right? David went after Goliath. He didn't go hide in a cave. He went after Goliath, and they took territory. And so when we see that extra pressure coming, I just look at it this way. You know what? Hallelujah. Good things are about to happen. The devil's afraid and on the run, 